and through the shed blood of your Son that we too can be holy. Lord, I just, we long for the day we will see you face to face and we can be in your presence forevermore and worship you. Lord, I just pray right now, though, as we go to your word, that you'd be our teacher. Give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to us tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome again to Calvary Chapel. If you have your Bibles, turn to Deuteronomy 31, continuing our verse-by-verse study through the Old Testament. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand, because you're going to need one. For those of you who have been coming, and maybe for those of you who haven't, just to catch up quickly, Deuteronomy means, Deuteronomy means second giving of the law. We're winding down this, these last words of Moses before he goes up on the top of Mount Pisgah and he is brought up into heaven. And prior to that happening, this is the last message he has. He's already, as we're going to see in tonight's text, been disqualified from coming into the land of promise. And I love Moses' heart that he still has a burden and a love for the people. And so actually I titled the message tonight, Giving Ministry Away. Because in all of history, there's never been a man who is as seemingly irreplaceable as Moses. Moses was a man whose life had been in preparation for ministry since birth. He was rescued from sure death, if you remember this story. All the Jewish babies were being killed, and he was put into the you know, to the water in a, in a small ark is what they actually called it. And of course, we know that he ended up in Pharaoh's house and he was raised there. So he spent 40 years in a position of great power and wealth. He was educated in the things of the world. He understood the Egyptian way of life. He knew what it was to, to lead and to have authority. There was a potential that he was even going to be a future Pharaoh. We know that at the very least, he was a prince. So he was a powerful man who was a prince the first 40 years of his life. But then things changed. In Exodus chapter 2, we saw that Moses began to see the burdens of his brethren and began to break his heart. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. And he killed the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. And when the word got back to Pharaoh, he sought to kill Moses. So Moses escaped into the desert. He settled in Midian and he was married there and had children. So the prince became a shepherd. He went from being a prince, a powerful man, to a man on the backside of the desert who was married and was watching over sheep. And you know what? In Moses' mind, no doubt, this was the rest of his life. This is what I'm going to do from now on. I've been chased out of, out of Egypt, fearing for my own life. But we know in the, in the end of Exodus chapter 2 that God heard the groaning of the people in, in Egyptian bondage. And God remembered His covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He looked upon them, and guess what? He appears to Moses, thinking he's minding his own business, being a shepherd the rest of his life, honoring God, but then the burning bush. And at the burning bush, God speaks to Moses and tells him he's going to be the deliverer. And if you remember Moses' initial reaction was, I'm not worthy. I can't do it. That's a sign of someone who's called. Someone who's humble. Someone who knows without God they can do nothing. And you know what? The Lord told him, I will be with you. Moses said, God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel uh, out? And he says, I will be with you. The Lord was with Moses as he used him to speak to Pharaoh, to deliver his warnings about the coming plagues. After Passover, he led them out of 400 years of bondage. It was Moses who raised his staff in the parting of the Red Sea, who, who went up on Mount Sinai and spoke to God, who saw the backside of God's glory, who had such an intimate uh, 
interaction with God, he had to veil his face because he was glowing in the dark. We know he veiled it so they wouldn't see the glory diminishing. He delivered the Ten Commandments and the law to the people. He walked before them in the wilderness. He interceded on their behalf when they walked in rebellion. He continued to love them even as they sought to kill him. This prince became a shepherd, became the deliverer of the children of Israel. If there's anybody seemingly irreplaceable, it would be Moses. This is a guy who, again, from before the foundation of the world, his life was planned out. He became a prince, then a shepherd, then a deliverer, and ultimately God's spokesman, and then an intercessor on behalf of Israel. Who does that sound like? That's Jesus. Who's the prince of peace? Jesus. Who's the good shepherd? Jesus. Who's our deliverer? Jesus. Who's seated at the right hand of the Father, right now interceding on our behalf? Jesus. Who continues to love us even as we rebel against him? Jesus. Moses. A very clear picture of our Lord. Seemingly irreplaceable, but you know what we're going to find out in these final chapters? We're going to continue to point, again, as he continues to point people to the truth, he still has a burden for them. He's not bitter because he can't enter in. No doubt he's disappointed, but at the same time, he's going to be faithful and endure. He's going to continue to emphasize the importance of God's word and and at being delivered to God's people. He's going to entrust the word of God to the Levites. He's going to warn both the current and future generations of heavy consequences of rebelling against God. Moses' ministry won't even end with his death as he would entrust it into the hands of the next generation. Here's what I want to say to you. No man or woman is irreplaceable. Only God is, amen? And he's not going anywhere. And too often in the ministry, or we think that God's not going to make this happen without my help. And I want to make it real clear that God wants to use us and desires to use us, and it's a privilege to be used by God, but none of us is irreplaceable. None of us. And praise God for that. Pastor Don told me before many times while I was in San Jose, he said, Dave, the success of your ministry isn't based on how things function when you're there, but how they function when you're not. Because if you're truly giving ministry away, you get hit by a bus tomorrow, things just keep going. Why? Because it's not about you, it's about God. And the same should be true for every one of us, no matter what ministry we're involved in, no matter what God has us doing. We should be giving ministry away and raising people up, you know, to fill in those spots so that if anything ever happened to us, it would continue on. We must all learn, like Moses, the seemingly most irreplaceable man outside of Christ himself ever, to give ministry away. So tonight we're going to look at seven points in giving ministry away. Number one, we give ministry away by taking all the focus off of us and placing it all on God. We're going to see Moses do that. Not about me, it's about him. That's how you give ministry away. Number two, identify those who are called. Then equip, encourage, disciple, and put ministry into their hands. Number three, place a strong emphasis on the absolute necessity of the teaching, studying, and reading of God's word. Now again, we see that that's exactly what Moses is going to do. He's going to, again, put the focus on God, not on himself. He's going to identify those who are called, and he's going to place ministry into their hands. He's going to keep the focus on God's word, not on his words. He's, the other thing that we need to share with people, again, in giving ministry away, is the desperate need for intimacy with God. You know what? You know when we get our marching orders? You know when we get our direction and our walk? It's our intimate walk with the Lord. It's your own one-on-one time with God. If you're struggling in your walk with the Lord, how are your devotions? How much time are you spending in prayer? You know what? God wants to have intimate fellowship with you, and you're as close to God as you want to be. God's right there. 
He's faithful. He's willing. It's up to us to reach out to Him. Seeing people through God's eyes is another way that we give ministry away. We have a God-given urgency and a burden for people. Sixth, being faithful to God's calling today. Can I tell you one of the things, I'm just being real transparent with you. One of the things that frustrates me most with people is they know they're called by God and they want to do something next year. (laughs) Next year. You know what, as soon as I get my bills paid off, then I'm going to serve God. You know, as soon as my kids all get in school, then I'm going to serve God. As soon as, and there's always, you know what, and there'll always be another reason to keep you from serving God. Today, amen? Serve God today. We only have so much time to serve the Lord. Let's do it while we can. And then lastly, put the word into the hands of those who will protect it and won't be afraid to proclaim it boldly. So giving ministry away. Let's begin in verse 1 through 6. By taking all the focus off of us, in Moses' case, taking all the focus off of him and putting it on God. Now I want to say this about Moses real quick. We know that the previous generation was ripping on Moses all the time. Moses, what have you done with it? Oh, Moses, oh, right? They wanted to kill him. His own brother and and sister tried to overthrow his power. Moses seemingly had no allies. But you know what? It's another generation that has passed. Forty years have gone by. That entire generation has gone away, and that generation has had one leader, Moses. And no doubt, the fact that he was leaving, while some may have been happy about it, most of them were probably scared to death. The only consistency we've had in the wilderness is Moses. Our parents are all dead. The generation before us has all passed away, but Moses has always been here. We haven't always agreed with him, but he's always here. He always speaks for God, and man, that guy's always proven to be right. So you know what? We want him around. And now Moses is leaving right before they go to face the giants in the land. So let's read, beginning in verse 1. And it says there, then Moses went and spoke all these words, spoke these words to all Israel and said to them, I am 120 years old today. So it was Moses' birthday. Moses is a buck 20. The 120 years old. Now it's funny, I went on the internet today to see who the oldest man in the world is. And who knows if these are accurate. But there was a man from India that was 114. They had his picture. And you know what? That guy looked like he was 114. He looked like he had been using it up for 114 years. He didn't look very far away from death. If they'd said, this is his dead body, I would have went, okay. Because that's kind of how he looked. Now, sometimes we think of Moses, 120. Oh, man, he must have been tore up. I mean, he was in the backside of the desert for 40 years, and he wandered with these whiners, right? He's got to be just falling out and tired by now. Well, you've got to understand that later on in the next couple chapters, we're going to see there was no dimness in his eyes. We're going to see that he had great strength. So him not going into the land of promise had nothing to do with the fact that he wasn't strong anymore. It had everything to do that he had with it, the fact that he had disobeyed God. So he was still strong. He still could have done it. He still could have led but he was disqualified. Now, it's interesting. 40 in the Bible is the number of testing, right? So Moses spent 40 years trying to become somebody in Egypt. Then he spent 40 years in the backside of the desert becoming nobody. And then he spent 40 years finding out that God can use anybody. Amen? And so he had three different chapters in his life, each one of them a a time of testing and a time of growing. And in those 40 years of ministry, it was time for Moses now to step aside. 
put the ministry into the hands of another. And again, it wasn't because he was no longer equipped. It was because God was calling him home and would not let him enter into the land of promise. He says there, I'm 120 years old today. I can no longer go out and come in. What he's talking about, I can no longer go out and lead the people. Again, not because of physical frailty, but because of God's command, God's righteous judgment. Moses Moses had lost his position in leadership because he misrepresented God to the people. I know this is repetition for most of you, but if you'll remember what happened, the first time that water came from the rock, the Lord told him to smote the rock with the rod, the cross. Jesus is the rock. He hits the rock, water pours out. Then later the people are clamoring, they're thirsty, and this time the Lord says, speak to the rock. Because Jesus was crucified once, and we don't put him back on the cross. And what do we do now? We simply speak to him. Amen? We can approach him. Well, Moses, in his anger, smote the rock twice. Out of anger. Smacked the rock, and the Lord said, because you've misrepresented me to the people, you're not going in the land of promise. You're done. Now, some of us might think, man, you just told me Moses' life, 120 years leading up to this time. Look at all the great things he's done for God. He went in and faced the Pharaoh who had wanted to kill him before. Again, the Pharaoh's descended. He went in and he faced the guy, and here he is making these bold stands for God, and you're telling me because he makes one mistake, he can't go in? You know, it's very important for all of us to understand that those who are in positions of authority in the church are held to a higher level of accountability. Those who proclaim to represent the Lord in the teaching of His Word are held to a higher level of accountability. Don't take it lightly. In James 3, it says, Let not many of you become teachers, knowing that you shall receive stricter judgment. That's exactly what happened to Moses. Moses was the one with the more intimate fellowship with God. He was the most, obviously the most mature believer on the planet. And when he blew it, it stumbled people. It was a bad representation of God. And God said, because of that, you're not going to enter in. They need to see that there's judgment that's going to come even to those, and even more so to those in, the, in high places. And it says there, And the Lord said to me, You shall not cross over this Jordan. So not only has he lost his position of leadership, but he doesn't get to go at all. It's been one thing the Lord said, Okay, Joshua's taking your place. Get in line with everybody else, but you can go in. That's not what happened. He said, Joshua's going to take your place, and you're not going at all. And again, you look at the the perspective of that, you think it's harsh judgment, but he got to go to heaven instead. I'm thinking that worked out pretty well. God's a God of grace, amen? And not just unable to leave, but unable to go at all. And again, it seems like harsh punishment, but understand that God's heart is to teach his people. And note in the coming verses that Moses never complains. He just, okay, Lord, I'm going to be faithful to the end. May we not be people that are Willingness to serve God is based on how comfortable things are for us, how things go our way. Okay, God, I'll serve you if you take care of everything else. You know, my, my, I'm conditional servant. You know, Lord, I'll, I'll work in a children's ministry as long as this happens. But if it doesn't, I'm out of there. I'll show you, God. Really. You know what? If that's your attitude, please do us a favor. Don't do it. Amen? We should be in there with a the heart of a servant. How do you know if someone's a servant? How do they respond when someone treats them like one? Amen? What do you think I am, a servant? Yeah, that's what we are. Amen? 
And when we're treated like one, that's when we realize where our heart really is. Now he says there, the Lord your God himself crosses over before you. Now he's speaking to the children of Israel, and he's letting them know, God said, I'm not going. Now in case you start to panic, let me make it real clear. God's going in front of you. He's pointing them to the Lord and not to himself. Don't trust in me, trust in God. I'm not going, but so what? God's going, and that's really all that matters. And so this is his heart, is to point them to the Lord. Moses had led the nation for 40 years, the only leader they had ever had, but Moses points them to their true source of hope, and their true source of hope is the Lord. Israel didn't need to be afraid. Why? Because God was going before them. He will destroy these nations from before you, and you, will di- you shall dispossess them. He will, not he might, not he could, he will. He will destroy these nations from before you. The seven nations of these once feared giants. Nothing to fear as God was on their side. The victory was guaranteed. Now here's the deal. As we're going to see in a few verses, God had already brought victories. But remember, the previous generation ran away. And Moses' heart was, I was here 40 years ago when the previous generation said, we're not fighting the giants. And they left. And what happened? 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. They wouldn't do it because the spies came back. There's giants in the land. There's gi- oh, well, then we're out of here. If things were going to be perfect in the land of flowing with milk and honey, that's fine. But no enemies, no struggles, no trials. Well, we see here, he says he'll destroy the nations that go before you. It's God who's on your side. He says you shall dispossess them, which simply means you're going to take their countries, their cities, their houses, their fields, their vineyards. There is a peace in knowing that God goes before us. Moses was a great man, possibly the greatest man who ever walked on this earth, but Moses was not irreplaceable. God being with them, being with Israel, was, Israel was in good hands with or without Moses. So again, what's he doing? He's saying, some of them no doubt would have panicked. I mean, you got to remember, there's three million people. What do you mean you're not going? What, you're quitting on us now because we're going to fight the giants in the land? Oh, I knew. And he says, look, God's going before you. That's all that matters. If God is for us, who can be against us? End of that verse. Joshua himself crosses over before you just as the Lord has said. Joshua was no stranger to the people of Israel. He'd been serving them ever since they left Egypt. He was Moses' servant long before he was Moses' successor. That is a great lesson for all of us. You know what I tell pastors all the time, people that are going into ministry, I say, you know what you need to do first? Go be someone's assistant. Go be someone's assistant. Greatest thing ever happened to me, I spent 15 years as an assistant pastor in two different churches. And you know what? And both of my senior pastors were very different, and I learned a great deal from both of them. And I truly learned, again, I need to have the heart of a servant first. And I still should have the heart of a servant greatest even now. But you know what? Moses, he, Joshua was, his, was the greatest servant to Moses of anybody around. He was the only guy that was faithful to him the whole time. And he was Moses' servant before he was his successor. Great lesson for all of us to learn. Too often we want to position, but we don't want to serve the one in the position. Well, I want to be at the head of that ministry. Well, you know, and I, again, I used to have that happen all the time when I was a youth pastor in San Jose because our youth group was, 
was huge, and God was blessing it, and people would find out, and they'd show up, and they want to start teaching for you on Sunday. Oh, yeah, I'm really gifted. I think I should take every other Sunday. I'm like, oh, really? Okay, why don't we do this? You show up and set up chairs every week. Oh, I'm not called to do that. Well, then you're not called to be here. Amen? If you're not called to serve these kids and love these kids and minister to these kids, if it's all about you being up front, then you've missed it. And this is his heart here. He's saying, look, Joshua was his servant before he was his successor. It was Joshua who led the Jewish army in defeating the Amalekites. It was Joshua who went up on Mount Sinai and waited for Moses. It was Joshua who was one of the 12 spies who went into the land, and only he and Caleb came back and stood with Moses and Aaron and said, guys, let's go get them. And everybody else said, no, we're not going to go. And Moses said, come on, God has delivered them into our hands, let's go get them. Joshua had been a faithful man these entire 40 years. And again, that's how you define or determine someone who's truly been called by God, is faithfulness over time. The Bible says to lay hands on no man quickly. Because someone can, you know, flame out like a comet. You know, they can look like they're really on fire for God for six months. And then, right, I've seen it many times. And you know what? Walk with God for some time. The people that I admire the most are the ones that walk with God the longest amount of time and have been faithful in the midst of the greatest trials. Again, in type, Moses is a picture, and we've talked about this repeatedly, of the what? The law. Moses wrote the first five books, the, the Septuagint or the Pentateuch, right? Penta meaning five. He wrote the first five books of the Bible, which is called the law. Moses in type, again, picture of the law. Joshua, his name could also be transliterate, Jesus, Yeshua, Jesus. Moses, the law, could not bring them in. Joshua could. The law cannot save you, only Jesus can. Amen? So all of this is not by chance in the Bible. All of it fits perfectly in with the gospel message. The law couldn't bring them in, only Jesus could. Verse 4. And the Lord will do to them as he did to Sihon and Og, the kings of the Amorites, and their land, land when he destroyed them. If you remember, Og was the, maybe the most giant man who's ever lived. I forget the exact dimensions, I don't have it in my notes here, but he was buried in a sarcophagus It was something like 14 feet long and 6 feet wide. This is a big guy. Now, he was the head over many nations, and he was a giant and he had other giants with him, and God went in and wiped them all out. And he's saying, you know what, how you've seen Sihog, Sihon and Og go down, and the Amorites destroyed? God's going to do the same thing when you cross over. And you know what, guys? When we step out in faith and we see God work, doesn't it make us all that much more ready to step out again? And can I encourage you, if you're struggling with something in your walk right now, remember what God has already done for you. Remember the struggles you had last year and the year before and five years ago and how God delivered you from them and trust and know that God can do the same thing with the struggle you're going through right now. These are the giants in the land. He said, you just got, you've seen God at work. He's going to take care of these other giants as well. God had given them complete victory over a once feared enemy and so too he would if they would simply step out in faith. Looking back at God's great power and His great grace and His victories in the past, should give us faith going forward. He says in verse 5, The Lord will give them over to you that you may do to them according to every commandment which I command you. The Lord will give them over to you. Again, Moses' clear focus on what? On whom? The Lord. He says, 
The Lord will do to them. The Lord himself crosses over before you. The Lord will do to them. The Lord will give them over to your hands. The Lord, the Lord, the Lord. Moses' focus wasn't, you guys are in big trouble because I'm not going. I don't know what you can do without me. Oh, well. 40 years you had me now. Too bad. Hope it works out. I have to go up on Mount Pisgah. Too bad, right? Talk to God. Maybe he'll change his mind. If not, you guys are in big trouble. And you know, sometimes people are that way. They think somehow we're irreplaceable. And again, God's making it really clear. It's all about God, not about Moses. And Moses is saying, look, guys, God's going before you. God's going to wipe him out. He's already done it. He's going to do it again. Trust him. Don't trust men. Don't put your faith in your pastor. Don't put your faith in your boss. Put your faith in God. Amen? And this is Moses' heart, and this is how you give ministry away. You get people's eyes off of you and get them on the Lord. Don't look at me. Look at him. And this is exactly what Moses is encouraging them to do. Can I, again, as pastors here, we want to be available to you guys, but may you not always run to the pastors. Run to the Lord first. Go to Him first. He's a lot wiser than us. Amen? Some of you go, well, preach that. Amen. I know that's true. Right? I mean, it's a fact. And so, you know, all we're going to do if you come to us is we're going to go to Him for you. What's, what, okay, let's, what does the Bible say? Amen? Now, again, there are times when you need to come. We're here. We love you. We're available. But don't always run to men. Run to the Lord. Every commandment which I have commanded you, to destroy the enemies, to make no covenant with them, not to enter into marriage, to demolish their altars, to cut down their groves, to break down their idols. He said, when you go in, God's going to go for it before you. And what He wants you to do is wipe them out completely. And again, we've talked about this in the past. We don't have time tonight. But if they allowed the idol worshipers to stay, God knew that they would fall right into their, to their trap, fall right into their sin. He knew it. Bad company corrupts good morals. And too often we think, oh yeah, I'm okay. I can, you know, I can hang out with these people and they can all sin around me, but it's not going to impact me. That's a lie. You can't do it. You cannot hold fire to your bosom and not be burned. He said, look, you go into the land, you've got to wipe them out. Why? They're idol worshipers. And you'll be dragged away into their sin if you don't completely eradicate them from the land. Verse 6. Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, He is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Who is the focus on? It's on God. And can I encourage you, if you underline verses, you should underline verse 6. And you know, that's a great verse to memorize. Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, He is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. You know what he says here, that word be strong? It literally means, you know what it literally means? It means act like a man. Don't be a wimp. Why? God's on your side. Don't be whining and complaining and running away. Oh, the giants run away, right? He said, don't do that. He said, be a man and step up because God is with you and go into the land. And don't be afraid. Why? You don't have to be afraid because God is with you and he will never leave you nor forsake you. You're not alone. Step out. Can I encourage you, no matter what you're going through in life today, that's the same message for all of us. Amen? God is with us. God is faithful. Now, the previous generation was neither strong nor courageous. They turned tail and ran. They didn't trust God's promises. They fearfully forgot who was with them. Now let me say this. Fear is to the devil what faith is to God. Fear is to the devil what faith is to God. 
He's a roaring lion seeking who may devour. And the Bible says that God has not given us a spirit of fear. And fear, anxiety, and worry are all the opposite of faith. So as Christians, should we be afraid? No. Amen. But Pastor Dave, wait a minute. But what? No. If I'm afraid, I'm saying God forgot about me. If I'm anxious, I'm saying God's not in control. If I'm worried, I'm saying, well, God forgot. You know, he's not taking care of my stuff. Trust him. Does God know every detail of your life better than you do? Of course he does. And so we need to learn to trust him. Not to be afraid, not to be fearful. Paul said God has not given us a spirit of fear. And I want to say this, that faith is like a muscle. It only grows when it's exercised. You know, and, and again, I don't want to... Here's a problem. Because of the whole word of faith movement, sometimes we run in the opposite direction. You know, because people have taken faith and made it an object that you command and you twist it around. and You know, that's not faith. Faith is obediently stepping out under the leading of the Holy Spirit even when it doesn't make sense. Amen? It's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I don't understand, but God's telling me, so I'm going. That's faith. Amen? And you know what's awesome? When you do that, God comes through. Because if He's leading, He will always come through. And then you get to say, wow, God rocks. And then the next time you have to step out, okay. Amen? But if you never step out, your faith will never grow. If you never step out, if you never trust God when it doesn't make sense, you're never going to trust God when it doesn't make sense. Amen? You just won't grow in that. And so it's so important. The giants in the land was an opportunity for them to exercise their faith in God's promise. God said, I'm going to wipe them out. But they're big. I told you I'm taking care of them. But they're big. I told you I'm going to take care of them. They got more people than us. I don't care. I'm on your side. Go. All right. Now it's an act of faith, isn't it? All right. I'm going. David and Goliath. You know, I've, I've told you this a hundred times, one of my favorite stories, David, you know, hey, I'm partial to the guy, what can I say? My parents <laughs> named me David, right? And so, I just love 11 foot, 750, everybody else, right? David comes, who's this uncircumcised Philistine that comes against my God? They all saw a man, a big man against a little man, he saw a little man against Almighty God. And he said, you know what, done deal. And he went out in faith, and what happened? Took him down. And then when the armies came against him, David had no problem. Man, I already whipped Goliath. God's on my side. Let's go, right? Again, we need to exercise that faith. Moses no longer leading, but God is still in control. He is still with them. He would never leave them. He's given them the focus. And again, for you and I to give ministry away, as he's given the ministry away to Joshua, he's saying, look, guys, put your eyes on God. Don't put your trust in me. Trust in God. Don't think I'm irreplaceable because I'm not. So giving ministry away by taking all the focus off of you and placing it all on God. Then second, in verse 7 and 8, identify those who God has called. Look at verse 7. Then Moses called Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and of good courage, for you must go with this people to the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall cause them to inherit it. So what does he do? He not only gives the ministry away, but he publicly recognizes God's calling on Joshua's life in front of all of the people, and then he encourages him to step out in faith. That, again, is what happens when we're given ministry away. He, he identified the man God called. By the way, men don't call men, God calls men. Amen? God's the one who does the calling. We just recognize it. Oh, there's calling. And, and God gives us discernment. We can recognize it. And once we recognize it, again, not voted on by men, but called by God and recognized by men, 
He brings them. He says, you're going to be the one that's going to bring them into the land. You're going to be the one that's going to go before them. And again, God is the one who does the work, but he loves to use us. Amen? He's, he loves to use us. God can do it without Joshua. But he chooses to use men that we can share in the blessing. How many of you in your lifetime have ever had a chance to lead someone to the Lord? Raise your hand. Okay. How blessing, how blessing are you to do that? Could God have done that without you? Of course he could. He's God. But you know what? Can I tell you? There's, it's phenomenal to get to be an instrument, a tool in the hand of the master to lead someone into the presence of Almighty God. And again, their eternity has been changed. And God uses us. Why? Because he loves for us to share in the blessing. He loves to allow us to participate in the work that he is doing. We, again, are simply tools in the hands of the master. And Moses had not only identified his calling, but he had equipped him and discipled him. And now he encourages him to step out. My assistant pastors are all afraid of me. I'm going to send them packing one day. They're all afraid I'm going to walk in one day and go, you're going to Ben Loman to start a Calvary Chapel. Right? And I've told them I probably won't do that. I didn't say I wouldn't do that. I said I probably won't do that. But here's Moses. Moses says, okay, Joshua, I see the calling. You're the guy. And guess what? I've not only spent 40 years with you, equipping you, encouraging you, discipling you, but even now I'm going to stand before all men and say I recognize the calling on your life, and now I'm going to send you out with my encouragement and my exhortation. Again, giving ministry away. Moses didn't say, you guys are all out of luck because I'm not going. Instead, he encouraged them, pointed them to the Lord, and then identified Joshua as the one God had called. And the verse 8, and the Lord said, and the Lord, he is, and the Lord, he is the one who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear nor be dismayed. Who is he encouraging here? He's encouraging Joshua. You're going to inherit the land, and the Lord is with you, Joshua. He told the people the Lord's with you, and now he's telling Joshua the Lord's with you. Joshua, there's going to be times I know how it's going to feel, because I've been you. I've been the person you're about to be, and these people are going to whine sometimes. Just remember, God's with you. Amen? The Lord is with you. He's faithful. Be of good courage. All right? I'm giving you the church of three million whiners, but God's faithful. And you just step out and you continue to walk in the Lord. Be strong and in good courage because the Lord goes before you. Giving ministry away by taking all the focus off of you and placing it on God and by identifying those who God has called. Thirdly, emphasize the absolute necessity of teaching, reading, and studying God's Word. You know what? The thing that will equip people to do ministry is this very thing. Look at verse 9. So Moses wrote this law and delivered it to the priest the sons of Levi, who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, and to all the elders of Israel. By the way, there are some people who dispute who wrote these, quote, scholars. That makes me sick every time I hear it, by the way. These, quote, biblical scholars who doubt that Moses wrote these books. What does it say in this verse? Moses wrote this law. That's it. Who wrote it, Moses? You know, maybe if you'd read the book, you might have an idea amazes me, guys are scholars because they read what other people say about books. Maybe just read the book, you'd have an idea. This cracks me up. So Moses wrote it, amen? It's right there. It's in the verse. And then it says here, he wrote it and he delivered it to the priest. Now some believe this means he literally hand wrote out 
multiple copies of the first five books of the Bible and handed it to the priests. Here you go. Now, this is a busy guy. He's kind of got stuff going on in his life. But he makes sure the Word of God is delivered to the priests. Amen? And you know what? We, can, we should never be too busy to deliver the Word of God to those that God has put into our care, whether it be our children, our spouses, the children's ministry, whoever it might be. Those called by God to serve the people in positions of spiritual authority need to know God's Word. If we don't know God's Word, we're not qualified to minister to God's people. Verse 10. And Moses commanded them, saying, At the end of every seven years, at the appointed time in the year of release, at the Feast of Tabernacles, just real quickly, those of you who were here earlier, the Feast of Tabernacles was the feast where they remembered their deliverance and their wandering in the wilderness. It was actually the happiest time of the year. They would come together and they had a great feast and the children would ask, why are we sleeping in tents and why are we staying in booths? And they were able to point them back to what God had delivered them from. But in the Sabbath year, along with the Feast of Tabernacles, all the debts were removed, all the slaves were set free. This was a great, great holiday for most of them. And the crops and the land were rested and the people were supposed to rest in the Lord. Well, he says, every time you have this great celebration, then here's what you need to do. Verse 11, when all Israel comes together before the Lord your God in the place where he chooses, you shall read this law before all Israel in their hearing. The word of God was to be read to all of the people, all of them. As we're going to see in the next verse, from the children on up to the senior citizens. That's me. That means we teach the Bible to everybody. Amen? Oh, when you get old enough, we can start teaching you the Bible. You're old enough if you can breathe. Amen? It's time to start you know, singing praise songs to your kids when they can't talk yet. Amen? Just build them up, raise them up in a home where they're being taught that from day one. And he says, teach them the Word of God. Say it in the hearing of all of Israel. Why? Because they needed to be reminded. They needed to remember what God had done for them. They needed to stay in the Word. And I want you to notice something there, that this is a time of great refreshing. And notice that it's a time when the Word of God is being shared. You want to be refreshed? Spend time in God's Word. Feast of Tabernacles, time of refreshing, a time of rest. You want to enter into God's rest? Read His Word. Verse 12. Gather the people together, men and women and little ones, and the stranger who is within your gates, that they may hear and they may learn to fear the Lord your God and carefully observe all the words of this law. Again, since Mount Sinai, it was the word of God that differentiated Israel from the surrounding nations. It would be the word of God that would serve as the standard to keep them from becoming like the surrounding pagans. And all of Israel, all ages, both sexes, called together to be taught the word. Now I want you to see the progression quickly in this verse. He says first, hear, learn, fear, do. All in that verse. Hear the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by word of God. He says, hear the word. And then once you know the word, you're to walk in obedience to it. So hear the word, learn the word. And then when we learn the word, we have a fear of God. And the Bible says the fear of God is the beginning of, of wisdom. So you want to walk in wisdom, we need to learn to come to a place where we have awe and reverence for God. You know the biggest problem in the world today? There's no awe and reverence for God. That's the problem. 
These people are foolish because they have no fear of God. None. They mock Him in the way they live their lives. They mock Him in what they say about God. They mock Him in how they're entertained and the decisions they make. And you know what? We're all going to stand before God one day. And the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And that fear of God ought to produce an action in our lives. So hear, learn, fear, and then do. Put the Word of God into action. Verse 13. And that their children who have known it may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land which you cross over the Jordan to possess. So the word was to be delivered not only to the parents but to the children so they might establish their own faith. You've heard me say before, God has no grandchildren. Your kids aren't saved because you're saved. Your, our children must each come to their own individual understanding and knowledge of Jesus Christ. My number one prayer is for my four kids. Constant. Fervent. And you know what? As parents, it ought to be all of our prayer. And again, in giving ministry away, the Word of God must be taught to every man, woman, and child. Verse 14 and 15. Giving ministry away, we must have a desperate need for intimacy with God. One of the things I always encourage our folks to do is, you know what? You can't give out this way what you haven't received this way. If you don't have intimate fellowship here, you're going to be no good out here. The Holy Spirit ought to be pouring out of us and on to others. Amen? And that's not going to happen if I don't have intimate fellowship with Almighty God. If I don't have a a prayer life that's deep, if I don't spend time in God's Word, I'm going to have nothing to share with you. And so it must begin right here. And that should be true for all of us. Look what it says in verse 14 and 15. The Lord said to Moses, Behold, the days approach when you must die. Call Joshua and present yourselves at the tabernacle of meeting that I may inaugurate him. So Moses and Joshua went and presented themselves in the tabernacle of meeting. So this is Moses' resignation and Joshua's inauguration and it came at the source of their inspiration. Took me a while to write that. Okay, so the inauguration was his commission. He was being called by God. And he says, okay, we're going to, inaugurate Moses, and you're going to resign. And I want, you to all come to, I want you to come together to the tabernacle where, who? The presence of Almighty God dwells. Why? Because for Joshua to be equipped, he must have the Lord upon him. For Joshua to be of any, you know, have, have any success or be faithful in his ministry, the Lord must be upon him. Through the wilderness journey, we find Moses and Joshua together before the Lord very often. Joshua was qualified to serve because he was at home in the presence of the Lord. Let me say that again. Joshua was qualified to serve because he was at home in the presence of the Lord. Are you at home in the presence of the Lord? Is it a place where you dwell? Is it a place that you come often and frequently and remain? And that's what's happening here as we see again that calling. Now the Lord appeared at the tabernacle in the pillar of a cloud, and the pillar of a cloud stood above the door of the tabernacle. God speaks directly to those who were called. He instructs them. He leads them. He directs them. And it comes through intimate fellowship with the Lord. You know what? It's amazing. Just again, being transparent with you guys. The way that I knew it was time to leave, if you were at the vet's hall, you probably thought it was time to leave a lot, long time before we did. But we were at the vet's hall downtown, and literally it was in my prayer time. The God just, I mean, things were going on there, but God, it's time. And I was going out on sales calls, and I, 
I changed an appointment and I drove over here to a place that two years earlier had told me they wouldn't let us rent from them. And I walked in the office and Larry said, we were just talking about you this morning. And you know what? If you still want to rent from us, we'd love to rent to you. And I said, wow, well, we'd love to rent from you. He said, when would you like to start? I said, how about Sunday? I'm not kidding. Right away. But see, you know what it is? It's in that intimate time of fellowship with God that God speaks to our hearts. That the Holy Spirit moves upon us and leads us and directs us to do things. And you know what? It's awesome. But you know what? He'll never contradict His Word. I'll make it really clear. Often people say, well, God told me. No, God didn't tell you. People tell me, well, God told me it's okay to date this unbeliever. Uh, No, He didn't. Amen? God will never contradict His Word. Amen? But be careful. You know, don't just be moved. Sometimes you're not in love. You're in heat. All right? And you need to slow down. Well, God told me that God didn't tell you anything. That was you. That was your flesh. Right? Yeah. You're just outside of your mind. You need to slow down and trust God. Amen? So make sure when you are led by the Spirit that it agrees with the Word because the Holy Spirit will never contradict the Word. Amen? So it's so important that we understand what the Word of God says. Verse 16, And the Lord said to Moses, Now we're going to see people through God's eyes. Watch how Moses sees them differently. The Lord said to Moses, Behold, you will rest with your fathers, and this people will rise up and play the harlot with the gods of the gods of the foreigners of the land. And where they go to be among them, they will forsake me and break my covenant which I have made with them. Moses, you're going to die, and these people you've ministered to for 40 years are going to turn their backs on me. Well, I really needed that bit of information before I left. Thanks a lot. You know, you think Moses might have said, Lord, can I just come to heaven, and then, you know, whatever happens, just let it, right? But you know what? God was not done with Moses yet. As we're going to see in these last three chapters, that Moses is going to write a, it's called the Song of Moses. And it literally becomes the national, quote, national anthem of Israel that they're taught to sing and learn that both tells them of the goodness of God, the greatness of God, what God has done for them, but also warns them of the righteous judgment of God that will come upon them if they walk in disobedience. And God's telling them, telling Moses, they're going to disobey, they're going to walk away, and he's doing this so he will see them through God's eyes and realize they need to be warned. They need to realize where they're headed. You know what, here's where they're headed, Moses, let me tell you. You know what, guys, sometimes we need to look at our family and friends and see where they're headed. We need to see where they're headed and love them enough to tell them the truth. In love. Amen? And it's not easy, is it? When was the last time you told somebody that they continued heading in the direction they were in, they're going to hell? That's real popular. People usually go, oh, praise the Lord, thanks for sharing that with me and give you a hug, right? Uh, no. Who do you think you are? I, you know, right? That's usually the response. But you know what? Always in love to say, you know what? Can I share something with you? We're all sinners saved by grace. God can't have one sin in heaven. He has one sin in heaven. He's got earth part two. If, you're, if you continue to not repent of the sin, you continue to reject the work of the cross, then you're going to spend eternity separated from Almighty God in a place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. We need to love people enough to tell them that in love. We need to see people for where they're going, just as Moses is being educated by God to see where they're headed. So he would know to warn them. He wouldn't have known how to warn them otherwise. The future apostasy of the people is announced in the presence of both Moses and Joshua. 
so they could seek to warn the people and reach out to the people who were outside of God's will. He says, then look what he says. They will break my covenant which I made with them. Then my anger shall be aroused against them in that day, and I will forsake them, and I will hide my face from them, and they shall be devoured. Man, God's anger, will, he will forsake them. He will turn his face from them. They will be consumed. Now it's interesting. Didn't he just say he will never leave them nor forsake them? Now he says he's going to devour them. He's going to walk away from them. He's not going to protect them. And he's going to bring his anger against them. What happened? God is faithful. Man is not. Amen? God didn't leave them. They left him. Do you understand that? God is faithful. God is right there. He loves us unconditionally. But he's not going to keep us from walking away from him. He's not going to keep those who just say, I don't care. I'm going my own way. I'm going to do what I want. And again, they'll reap the consequences of their choice. Early in this chapter, he is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. But now, look at the evils and the troubles that come when we reject Almighty God. Have not these evil come upon us? Look what it says there. Many evils and troubles shall befall them, so that they will say in that day, Have not these evils come upon us, because our Lord God is not among us. Amen. You know what? The Bible says that those who are in rebellion deliver them up for the destruction of their flesh. That doesn't mean send them out so they'll get killed. It means send them out so they'll die to their flesh and realize their desperate need for God. And the same is true here. They're going to be in such heavy-duty circumstances they're going to realize God's not here anymore. We're doing this on our own. This isn't working out too well. We need to turn our eyes back to God. I will surely hide my face in that day because of all the evil which you have done, in that they have turned to other gods. Notice that. They have turned to other gods. They turned. They walked away. They rejected God. They chose to serve the false gods of this world. Moses, how bummed he must have been. How do you think he must have felt learning more and more to look at it, again, from a godly perspective to realize they're going to forsake the Lord, but at the same time, that that gives him an urgency in his heart to reach out to them, to write this song of Moses we're going to see next week. Verse 19. Now therefore, write down this song for yourselves and teach it to the children of Israel. Put it in their mouths that this song may be a witness for me against the children of Israel. So write it down so that as they sing this song, as they remember this song, even if they've forgotten my word, put my word in this song so they will not walk away from me. God revealed this truth to Moses not to bum him out, but that he might compromise again or compose this national anthem as a reminder of all that God had done, the kindness to his people, the faithfulness of God to chasten his people, the vengeance of God against his enemies. Verse 20 and 21. When I have brought them to the land flowing with milk and honey, of which I swore to their fathers, and they have eaten and filled themselves and grown fat, then they will turn to other gods and serve them, and they will provoke me and break my covenant. What was going to be the thing that brought about rebellion? Wealth. He said, when they have everything they need and are no longer desperate for me, then they're going to turn to other gods. Guys, may we not come to the place where we are so self-sufficient we stop being desperate for God. Amen? Don't allow your bank account or 
Anything else that you have to get you to the place where you think you don't need God anymore. Verse 21. Then it shall be when many evils and troubles have come upon them, that the song will testify against them as a a witness, for it will not be forgotten in the mouths of their descendants. For I know the inclination of their behavior today, even before I have brought them to the land which I swore to give them. God knew what their heart was going to be. God knew they were going to rebel against them, and yet he still was going to bring them into the land anyway. They're going to be outside of God's will. They're going to serve other gods, and troubles would come. This song would serve as a reminder. Doesn't music trigger things? You know, we're going to stop with that verse because we need to. But here's the thing. Doesn't music trigger things? Can't you hear a song and it brings you back to where you were? Doesn't it? Whether good or bad. Last time I heard that song, I was in jail. Whatever, right? (laughs) Last time I heard that song in high school. Whatever it might be. And you know what? That's exactly what would happen because they would sing this song and it would be a reminder to them of the commitment God had made to them and how they had disobeyed God and how now they were reaping the consequences of their own actions by separating themselves and turning away from the Lord. God commanded Moses and Joshua to write this song. And so we're going to see again, we'll look at the song itself next week. But here's the key. And I want, let me, you know what? Forgive your pastor. I want to look at verse 22. Therefore Moses wrote this song the same day and taught it to the children of Israel. God told him, write a song and teach it to the children of Israel. And when did he do it? The same day. You've got to love that. Now Moses could have said, you know, I'm kind of busy. I've got three million people in my church and most of them are whiners. I've got no time. He could have said, I'm 120. I'm tired. He could have said, it's my birthday. I mean, give me a day off. (laughs) But what did Moses do? Moses was faithful to the end. Even though he knew he was not going to enter in, what did Moses do? Moses was obedient to the Lord immediately. Can I encourage you, if God's prompting you to do something for his kingdom, don't put it off until tomorrow. Be obedient today. You'll never regret being obedient to God. Amen? I should have waited a couple months before I went. No, you're never going to regret it. You're going to be blessed. And sometimes it's hard. I have to confess to you, when I quit my job and went full-time as a pastor, hey, it was, it was one of these. There's no doubt. I knew God was calling me to do it, but can I tell you that, you know, taking $150,000 year pay cut is a little bit of a concern, right? You've got a wife and four kids, and, you know, hey, but you know what's great? I've never regretted it for a second. I can't believe I get to do this. Praise God, amen? And the point is that sometimes we're, oh, but hey, it's a blessing to walk in the center of God's will. So, giving ministry away by taking all of the focus off of you and placing it all on God. Second, identify those who God has called, then you encourage, equip, and disciple them. If you're in ministry and you look at someone who's, who's got a calling on their life and has a hunger to do what you're doing, then give ministry away. Give an opportunity. You know what's incredible to me? We have so many Bible teachers in this church, but so many, so many of them never taught until they came to this church because we gave them an opportunity, and I want to keep doing that. And sometimes it'll be a little rough. That's okay. Amen? We've got to give someone an opportunity so that they can grow. Place a strong emphasis on the teaching of God's Word. Again, as you disciple others, encourage them in that. Again, the desperate need for intimacy with God. 
as you're giving ministry away, as you're equipping others, encourage them that their own intimate walk with God is key. And then that they would see people through God's eyes. They begin to see the sheep, the people of Santa Cruz County, the way the Lord sees them. When Pastor Don said Santa Cruz, my initial response was, I don't think, I drove downtown, I was weeping. God broke my heart for the people. That's what has to happen in ministry. Your heart needs to be broken for the people you're ministering to, so then you'll be faithful to minister to them with your whole heart, to intercede on their behalf, to pray for them, and not be bummed out because they're just cramping your style. Someone else called me? Really? Man, call them back. No. Instead, it's like, really? How can I minister to them? Amen? And then lastly, may we be faithful to God's calling today. Don't put it off till next week, next month, next year. You don't have the promise of next week. Amen? We don't have the promise of next year. We don't know. But praise God, we can be faithful today. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you, Lord, for your love and your grace. We thank you, Lord, that you not only save us, which is the greatest gift of all, but then, Lord, you desire to use us. Lord, you could do it yourself, and you could do it a lot better than we do it. But, Lord, I thank you that you would take marred and imperfect and broken vessels like us and use them for your glory. Lord, what a privilege it is to serve you. Lord, I pray for people here today that, Lord, they know there's a calling upon their life, that your Holy Spirit's been drawing them to do more for your kingdom, whatever it might be. Start a Bible study at work. Be involved in ministry here. Serve in the children's ministry. Reach out to family members who don't know you. Whatever it is, Lord, I pray, Lord, that they would not put it off anymore. The Lord, that today would say, Lord, I'm here. I want to do it today. Lord, those of us who are in ministry, and we all are, but Lord, those of us who are using our gifts, if there's those around us, Lord, may we give that ministry away. May we not hold tightly to it. May we not think it belongs to us. None of us is irreplaceable, Lord. And Father, I just pray that we would be those who hold lightly to what you've given us, that we would use all that we have for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.